taken from Exodus chapter 1, verses two, uh, 6 to 22, and can be found on page 58 of the Church Bibles. Starting at verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on delivery store, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave his, this order to all the people, Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and it's on page 967 in the Church Bibles. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, 
we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. And this is me holding up a big map to show them that the Bible is a book that has stories that give us a map in which we can live our lives, with which we can get on with our lives, a map that helps us to find our way to keep to the paths that God wants us to follow. The Bible has all these stories that help us to have a framework in which we can live our lives, just like a map gives us a framework so that we can see where we're going. The Bible and all the stories in the Bible give us a framework so that we can live our lives. I've got it back now, thanks. So, this Exodus story that we're going to look at is a very familiar story. It's a story that lots of films have been made from uh, about, haven't they? There's the Ten Commandments, the Prince of Egypt, even down to recent ones like Exodus, uh, the gods and kings. It's a story that's been told for 3,300 years. So it's an old story, but it's a story that's kept alive, kept alive by the Jewish people every year at the Passover feast and kept alive because it connects so intimately with our Easter celebrations. This is a familiar story, a story that helps us to make our way in the world. Because stories draw us in. Stories help us to see how this world works. There's an idea that telling stories is one of the biggest ways that we are human. The thing that separates us from the rest of creation is our ability to tell stories. Stories helped us to hunt better. We could tell stories to other hunters about where to find the game. And then stories held tribes together so that they had a common identity. They were the people of the story, the people who had the same story. The story gave them reference points for their lives. And that's the same for all of us. Stories help us to make sense of who we are. Stories help us to see where we've come from and where we're going. Stories help us to see why we speak as we speak, why we behave as we behave. They tell us who we are. And stories stop us just responding to the events of our existence by giving us a way of looking deeper behind what's happening in our lives. Stories are so important, especially in times of suffering. Because in times of suffering, stories help to give us a bigger picture, another perspective in which to see our suffering and make sense of it. And so we need to see that this Exodus story, this very old story, is also a story for today's world. 
because for, because for many people in today's world, despite all the opportunities that there are for everyone to live in new ways and fruitful ways, many people feel as if life is a bit like slavery. It's a bit as if there are pyramids dominating our lives, casting shadows over our lives. Pyramids that fill our horizons because we're bowed down by all those things that we have to do. And we're not free. Especially for some people in our world, it feels as if life is still a life of slavery. But this Exodus story tells a different story. This Exodus story is a story of rescue and restoration for a people who will become God's people, who will provide a saviour for the whole world. So this is a foundational story in the formation of a nation who are the people of the promise, who God has made a covenant with. Before Exodus, God's promises are given to individuals and to families, but now it's a whole nation who are part of God's plans. A whole nation who find their identity in their relationship with God. And crucial to that identity is this rescue mission. God bringing them up out of Egypt. And the word exodus means to get out of. It was given by the Greek translators of the Hebrew text. And so if you go to Greece, you might see a sign like this. And that word under the line is exodus in Greek. That's an epsilon, psi, omicron, delta, omicron, sigma. So that word under the line is exodos. That's what you see on emergency exits in Greece. Exit, exodus, emergency. That's what that sign says. It's still a sign that's used today. And this emergency exit out of Egypt is a special time for God's people, isn't it? And it's a time when, for a moment, the handle of that emergency exit door was found in a basket amongst the reeds on the great river Nile. For God has seen the suffering of his people. He's heard them cry out in anguish. This is a people suffering ongoing oppression, trying to survive in the face of wicked laws, of a pharaoh who has committed to killing all of the newborn baby boys. Injustice and oppression have always been and always will be an offence to God. In Psalm 10, this is what the psalmist says. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. God is on the side of the oppressed and the poor. God hears their cry. In the end, all systems based on oppression will fail. From Nazi Germany to Russia under Stalin or China under Chairman Mao to the rise and fall of the Islamic State in Syria, evil never wins out. It always fails in the end. Because the natural order is an order of justice and of peace. And in the end, God's in charge. 
So this Exodus story is a story that shows that just one child can change the world. Just one child. This is a story, in a way, of ordinary individuals who have extraordinary impact on the world around them. And so it's a story of courage. It's a story that shows that the courage of individuals matters. It starts with the courage of the midwives who feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. God was kind to them and watched over them. They stood up to evil and evil backed off or it found another way. It's also a story of the courage of a mother giving up a child. In the face of violence, this mother had the courage to trust God. It was love that enabled her to build a boat out of a basket. How many tears were shed in the making of that fragile boat? How many sleepless nights were there before it was finally used? But she did not despair in the face of violence. She found a way through, trusting God that her son would survive. Not meeting the violence head on, but responding with sacrificial love. That's what mothers do so often. Their part in history, the history of this world, so often goes unrecorded. Here we have the story of one mother who has no name in the story, but stands in the way of the destruction of God's people. She's a mother who gave up her most precious child to save a people. A child born into a time of danger when God's people are oppressed. And then there's another courageous woman in this story because there's a princess who lifts this basket up out of the water and brings the baby into a palace where he can experience a new life. And the Egyptian princess knew that Moses was a Hebrew baby and yet she was brave enough to defy the laws of her father and save a child who should have been killed. This is a story of courage in the face of evil. And all this happens so that Moses can be fashioned and formed into someone that can be used by God. But that process, we know, is not always straightforward. And for Moses, it wasn't straightforward. He was a Hebrew growing up as a prince of Egypt. And in the end, he kills one of the Egyptian slave masters, doesn't he? And then he has to make a speedy exit himself from Egypt and go off and become a shepherd for 40 years in the desert. This is not a fairy tale. If it was a fairy tale, it wouldn't be so complicated. They wouldn't have made up bits of it as the hero being a murderer. They wouldn't have included parts that were so dramatic and awful of the children being killed in the river. This is a story of faith. This is a story where faith triumphs. This is a story that shows that God is at work in his world. The very name Moses is an Egyptian name. It comes from an Egyptian noun that uh, describes a son, a male child. That's what Moses means. And as such, it's found in the names of several pharaohs. In the New Kingdom times of Egypt, there were several pharaohs that were called Tut Moses, Ar Moses, and Har Moses. Moses was part of their name. It was an Egyptian name. 
And why would a Hebrew slave be given an Egyptian name unless it was given by an Egyptian princess? God brings this person out of slavery into the palace so that he can understand the ways of the Egyptians. That's the only way that he could respond to Pharaoh later on in the story if he knows what he's facing, if he knows the ways of the Hebrews because he's one of them and also the ways of the Egyptians because he's lived with them. This is an amazing story. This is an incredible story. How could it have happened unless God was at work within it? Without this story, the Jewish nation would be no more than a footnote on the pages of history because they would have been wiped out at this time by the Egyptians, the greatest power that there was. They were just undefended slaves. They had no rights. They would have been stamped out by Egypt if God hadn't stepped in. So this is a story where we see God providing a saviour, someone to bring his people out of their bondage, out of slavery. God makes his promise secure because these are the people of the promise and he is going to lead them out into freedom. God steps in to provide a saviour. He hears the cries of his people. He sees their suffering and he is involved. That's what this story says. He loves us. He's involved in us, in our lives, just as much as he's involved in this story. That's what this story is about. In the end, he gave up his only child so that we could be saved. Because in the end, there was only one saviour, a saviour who also had a foot in two camps, who was fully God and fully man, who came to lead all people out of slavery, to lead us into a new life. That's why this story is so important, because God's story goes on and on and on. We need to understand God's story so that we can pass it on to those around us. Because this is a story of deliverance and rescue, of courage and love. In facts and faith, this story shows who God is. This is our story, a story that we're part of, a story that resonates and makes sense even down to today. It's a story that's been used through history to inspire people. Did you know this Exodus story was part of the uh, freedom that the slaves in, in America sought? In all of their gospel singing, it was all about the story of Exodus, of the, being freed from slavery. And I found out on the internet, where you have to believe all things, because all things are recorded, that even the Scottish National Party took up the story of Exodus. And at one point, they asked, Alex Salmon asked what he should go and tell David Cameron uh, from the Scottish people. And one of his ministers said, tell David Cameron, let my people go. Now I'm not sure that he was justified in using that analogy. But it's still a story that resonates today. It's still a story that people know, that the slaves were set free. So what are the pyramids in our lives? To what are we enslaved? What is it that drives us, that drives us on? None of us lives in complete freedom. 
we weren't made to in a way but we need to look at what is it that drives us what's the roots of our slavery in our day in our world sometimes it might be a desire for more money or more comfort or more pleasure sometimes it's a desire for more control or more approval or more power and we might say well these drives are just human drives that we all share we can't escape from those surely but we can stop these compulsive behaviors if Jesus comes and sets us free and then sometimes we can say that we're slaves to what's happened to us that we remember all the wounds that we have that have mounted up over the years and we can't be set free from our past surely perhaps our past forms the pyramids that dominates the horizon but we can be set free even from the past that's why the cross and the forgiveness of the cross are so important and a bit of a spoiler alert here but even when the people were set free they found it hard to live in a new way and sometimes for us, even when we're set free, we, found it, we find it hard to be set free. Sometimes we end up wanting to go back to that slavery because that's what we know best. But we have a God who saves. That's the undeniable truth of this story. And that God sent his son to be our saviour. He sent his son into a dangerous world where Jesus gave up all the privileges that he had to wander the hills and become a good shepherd until the time came that he came to set his people free. So our faith is a faith that believes that the Saviour is sent to find us, that individuals can be saved by the Saviour and individuals can go on and make a difference by changing nations. We have a God who cares for us, a God who loves us, a God who sent his son to pay the price for our freedom. But do we really believe that? Do we live like that? Are we willing to accept that God is still at work in his world? Even in the dark days when things seem to be going wrong. Are we ready to look for him in the stories of those around us? Even when so many stories are dominated by silent suffering. Will we look for signs of God at work in his world? Will we live in the story of God, this God, who loves his world? Because Egypt was a place of suffering, and this Exodus story is a place of journey from suffering to freedom. And there is still suffering in our world. Someone asked me this week how I'd come to terms with suffering. And for me, it all got personal when I was 26. In one particular year, three big things happened. My sister was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. A friend who I'd been through vet school, who was 26, the same age as me, died of stomach cancer. And then the girlfriend that I had at the time developed an incurable autoimmune disease. And I just got fed up with the suffering and fed up with God. And I blamed God and I was angry with God and I blocked God out and I wandered away for about five years and I had lots of things going on in my life I was a young vet and I was earning money and my uh, career was blossoming but I found 
that doing life without God just didn't work. It just wasn't the same. Those five years were lonely years. Those five years, in a way, were wasted years. Those five years got me nowhere. Without God, life just doesn't make sense. With God, suddenly it does again. This story is our story because it means that we can trust God, the God who longs to save us, the God who never gives up on us, the God who comes to find us even when we give up on him. This is a story that can form who we are. It changes how we see the world and it brings us out from the shadow of the pyramids and sets us free to live in a new way. That's what this story is about. This is a story that means that we have God on our side. Even in our darkest moments, he is there. Even when we can't feel him or see him or touch him, we can trust that he has a plan for our lives. A plan full of rescue and courage and faith and freedom. God offers us that freedom right now. A freedom that comes when we trust and believe in Jesus. It's a freedom that is there ultimately on the other side of the cross when Jesus is raised to new life and gives us that sure and certain hope in eternal life that makes sense of this story of this world. So if there's anyone here today who doesn't know this freedom, who hasn't been set free by Jesus, anyone who wants to experience more of this freedom, then there's a prayer ministry station at the back of our church just in that corner and if during communion or after the service you want prayers to know more of that freedom, the freedom that comes when we know his Holy Spirit at work within us, then go and get some prayer and people will be pleased to pray with you in that corner for that blessing. This is God's story, this Exodus story. This is our story, this story of finding new freedom. This is our story because this is our God, a God who loves us and cares for each one of us, a God who will never leave us or forsake us, a God that goes with us wherever we go because he has and always and forever love for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not content to leave us where we are, but that you sent your Son, your only Son, to lead us out from the things that hold us enslaved. Lord, we pray that you would break through into each of our lives to give us the courage and the faith to find freedom in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.